0: Block
1: Talk Radio. Quiet, please. Welcome to Rex Sykes Movie Beat Conversations with Filmmakers where we discuss everything film and television. Here on Movie Beat you'll learn what to do and what not to do when it comes to making movies and TV and we will talk to everyone behind the scenes and in front of the camera and I'll provide you with the guests and the information you're going to want to have whether you're a filmmaker or a fan and so now let's move behind the scenes here at movie Beat. today is a an awesome it's an auspicious day i have a, a lot of guests today we have first uh and i'll bring them on in order of introduction but we've got todd robinson we're going to be talking about um taking a movie from the idea all the way through to the end of, of distribution and release and i have uh, writer director todd robinson i have sydney sherman the co uh, the producer uh byron werner uh, the director of photography, and Philip Klein to start to show off. He's a composer and an orchestrator, so I'm going to uh, tell you a little bit about each of them. And uh, you're going to want to check out each of these guys. If you don't know their work already, you're going to want to check out each of these, their uh, their impressive credits on uh, IMDb. But writer-director Todd Robinson's films often explore the boundaries of the human condition setting as the action of large-scale theatrical back- backdrops, as is evidenced by his Cold War submarine thriller, Phantom, and the Ridley Scott uh, seafaring epic *White Squall*, which Todd wrote and produced, and his recent movie *The Last Full Measure* is about a Medal of Honor recipient, A.F.C. William Hart Pitzenbarger. So I'm going to bring Todd on right now to say hello, Todd. Let's see here. Hello, hello. You're on. All right, you're on the air. Welcome. And now, uh, if you'll h- hold tight, I'm going to bring on Sydney. Sydney Sherman is the founder, CEO of Rosa Entertainment, and indie. A uh, film, television production and management company. Um, Sydney's previously has uh, produced both narrative, documentary features and shorts. Uh, many of those with uh, with Todd. He co-produced *Lonely Hearts*, which was written and directed by Todd. *Go Tigers* and the Emmy award-winning uh, *Armagosa*, also directed by Todd. He also, uh, right now on Netflix, there's the critically acclaimed documentary f- feature about gay marriage, *The Freedom to Marry*, and it's it's now showing. Currently, he's also producing Cactus Jack, which is written by Jason and Chris Thornton. Jason and Chris uh, have been on the show before. And uh, so that's exciting news. Byron Werner, I'll be ringing him on in just a moment. So, but now we have to say hello to Sydney. Hi, are you there, Sydney? Sydney?
2: That's what
1: we
3: call dead air, I think.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what happened to Sydney. Uh, but. Okay, well, I'll bring on Byron. Uh, Byron Werner is an L.A.-based director of photography who shot a massive collection of work over his 20 years of filmmaking in feature films, short films, music videos, and commercials. Uh, Most notably, his cinematography is currently showcased in Todd's uh, Phantom and in The Last Full Measure. Byron's work in music videos has him sought after by many of today's leading musicians, including Coldplay, David Grohl, Foo Fighters, Bruno Mars, the 1975 E.L.O. Pharaoh, The Killers, and many, many more. So help me now welcome Byron. Byron, Thank are Thank you, you for
0: having me. Yes, I'm I here. i
1: thrilled to have you. Thank you. And we'll now bring Philip on. Philip Klein's music has been heard in film and television projects for Sony, Disney, Pixar, Lionsgate, ABC, and CBS. And recent projects include The Last Call Measure with Todd and the upcoming Sony Pictures Animation uh, Wish Dragon. Philip's also penned 18 new orchestral Arrangements for Aerosmith's current Las Vegas residency, Gooses Are Wild. He's an active orchestrator and has conducted orchestras in Hollywood, Nashville, New Zealand, Prague, and Bulgaria. So uh, we'll bring on Philip. Oh, it's
4: nice Hi to be Philip.
1: here. Nice to have you here. Now, is Sydney here? I'm here. Oh, we got you. There we go. Okay, so we've got Todd Robinson, Sidney Sherman, Byron Werner, and Philip Klein. Uh, to talk today about um, The Last Full Measure. Now, you all worked together, and the movie is in release, and uh, it enjoyed a the theatrical release back in January. Well, let's go to how it started. This has been a, a 20-year project for you,
3: Todd, right? Yeah, it started back in 1999, <clears throat> and um, I won't go through all the, the the details of sort of how I came upon the story because we've talked about that before. Right. But um, but essentially, what happened was once I identified the the story, uh, I took it to Sydney, and we just started talking about it. And he thought it was um, uh, an idea with merit, and so he began the process of uh, trying to get us an audience with Hollywood. And um, Sydney, you can pick it up from there.
5: Yeah, that's a fascinating um, thing. Well, thank you, Todd, for the intro. I mean, real quick, I mean, the big thing, obviously, was there were so many different people involved between the Army soldiers on the ground that and Barger interacted with and, and helped save and the men who were part of his unit, the Benoit Eagles, the Air Force guys, who were separate. And then we had the and Barger family. And um, so we had to reach out to everyone and get everyone on the same page in terms of our approach to wanting to make a film about and Barger and these men. And then it was the process of acquiring their life rights, which took uh, quite a bit of time. You know, I'd say over a year to lock it all down. Um, And while that was happening, we started to work on a pitch for taking the film out um, to try to sell it. And we initially pitched, I'd say, 50 production companies and uh, went into every studio. Everyone thought it was an amazing story and everyone passed. (laughs) (laughs) And, um, you know, that's the process of Hollywood I mean, there's a lot of things that go into it But um, Todd and I were working on a pilot at the time For um, Fox and ABC And while we were shooting the pilot Which was uh, super stressful And wasn't going exactly how we wanted Todd was just like, you know what I'm just going to spec the script Meaning he was going to write it up for free uh, On his own time Not having it commissioned by any production company or studio and gamble on the story and us being able to execute. And uh, to his credit, Todd wrote, you know, a brilliant script, and we sold it in a bidding war to New Line uh, over Thanksgiving weekend back in 2002. Um, so that's the short little brief part about how that, how the road started in terms of the film. So for 18
1: yeah, years... Yeah, you know, one of the things that I...
3: Out. Go ahead. One of the, Oh, sorry, I'm
5: jumping on you there, Rex. i, I was no, no going go for to it. One
3: of the things, one of the things that I remember about that process of pitching was, you know, they, you know, they say this and I believe it. You really need to be able to pitch a story in about, you know, two to seven minutes, uh, and then you can talk about some of the, the vagaries and other aspects of of production, or you, you know, maybe some sales items along with it. But you really have to get in and get out. And, uh, and hopefully, they're, they're pausing you at the door to ask you questions. And no matter how hard I tried, we could not, I could not pitch this story in less than 30 minutes. It just, there were too many, there was too much good stuff. And I, I, I'm not a great editor of my own stories, and it was just really difficult. And <laughs> I, I recall, Sydney, and you, you probably remember this, I mean, we literally had at one point an executive falling asleep. I mean, literally falling asleep. We had another woman who shall remain nameless who was extremely pregnant, rubbing her tummy in front of us. Now, if you don't think that's distracting, (laughs) trying to sell something, um, it it was crazy. And uh, we just, you know, uh, 50 places is an awful lot of times to tell a story. And, uh, you know, we just kept getting the same result. But um, we were determined you know to to get this story told um really because of the men that it was about we we um by the time sydney got through with them um you know committing to them that we were going to get this thing made um you know we were we were committed to to these men who had suffered so deeply and so uh it really wasn't difficult to make the decision to spec it at that point Wow.
1: Let me, let me ask you a question for both you and Sydney in, in terms of the rights, you know, getting life rights to, uh, I guess, a number of people. You know, some people would think, well, if, if a story is in the newspaper, then it's public domain and I don't really have to worry about getting rights. But um, if, are, are you getting the rights because you want to include stuff that's not out there or that's not in the press or that they don't know in other words, in order to be able to, um, to cover what you want to cover, uh with the subject of your material is cuz a lot of people are confused about rights issues and i just i just want to you know you're, yeah, you're no, dealing the, with a, a lot of people
5: it's, it's a good question i mean you know it always depends you know in this case you know there was um some press about him but as these things go they tend to be pretty general and it's more like hey he's up for the medal hey he didn't get the medal hey he got the medal um and if you want to get a deep dive into finding out more about the people who are involved Uh, in this case, family members and the actual veterans who are involved in the battle. You really do need to acquire their life rights in order to um, tell the story properly. And, you know, Todd is really about research. We both are. And, you know, we interviewed these guys extensively, all the veterans um, and the family members for hours at a time and took, you know, detailed notes. And that, You can't do unless you get their life rights. So it was really important that we wanted to do justice to the story and keep it as real as possible, and not, you know, glamorize or Hollywoodize it, if you will, um, and try to make it more than it was. The the story uh, is larger than life as it is. We don't need to add fiction. (laughs) Yeah, and additionally, there
3: there's the problem of litigation. You know, when you're talking about Interpreting somebody's life story, you really need to have their cooperation to do it. Um, in the case in the case of this story, it was really complicated because there were, you know, probably in excess of 140 people um, wow. who were who participated in the battle itself, and we were focusing on, you know, only a handful of them. And we also had to get everybody on board with, you know, understanding that this wasn't about them. This was about the Pitsenbarger story and the Pitsenbarger family, when in reality the battle was really about these Army soldiers. And so and it's an entirely different culture. And so putting together the life rights um, built consensus about how we were going to approach it so that we didn't have problems later on. And we still had problems. There were, there were people we couldn't track down. Um when the lawyers get involved and uh, and you know you start looking at at all the contracts and uh, and and the potential for for being sued it is, is rather high, and so they really make you button all that stuff down so um, th- there are an awful lot of reasons apart from the story that you have to do this as well.
1: Well, it also says that you somehow have to be able to communicate successfully with all the people that you have these rights to you know your attorneys do you do. You know, Sydney. I mean, because you're you're requesting their cooperation in getting something made. So I can imagine that it's no small task, and the uh, the amount of time and energy and effort spent uh, seems uh, just amazing, <laughs> just truly well, amazing. Well, yeah, and in,
3: this, you know, and in this case, in the case of this, you know, Sydney um, for years, and later Julian Adams, another producer on the project. Work really, really hard to coordinate with these guys so I didn't have to do it because people that are sort of outside the playing field of making a movie don't understand how what, the kind of pressure that we're under and how limited our time is. And so um, having those guys on board to just sort of, you know, herd the kittens and, um, and, and keep them all satisfied that things were moving along. And remember, you know, we drug these guys th- through the mud for almost 20 years. And so it took a
5: lot,
3: a lot of uh, cajoling, if you will,
5: um, you know, to keep them uh, on board. Wow. Well, I, I will well, tell me- one. Well, I tell one fun anecdote story, which was that you <laughs> know, as Todd and I were starting to, you know, chase the rights, you know, we started meeting all these men, um, and you know, it would be anywhere from like you know a bar in New Mexico to uh, a restaurant in Beverly Hills, but. On one occasion, I met one of the veterans named Trash, who is a, a, a biker and, you know, has that kind of rolling thunder vibe when you meet him. And, you know, um, Todd couldn't go to that meeting that day, but I remember meeting him at the now-defunct Jerry's Deli near oh, Sinai wow. in Beverly. And uh, it was like a Sunday afternoon, and, you know, we were still trying to get guys to sign and Trash is somebody. His name's Ron Haley, but he goes by Trash. Um, he um has courage a lot of respect and favor with the men and you know we knew that if we were going to be successful we certainly had to have him on board so i went to meet him and you know obviously you don't really know him and you're just trying to get to know him and also share what we wanted to do with the film and he kind of hears me out and you know he's like eating this huge ice cream sundae the whole time and with tons of sugar he's actually adding sugar to the ice cream sundae which i've never seen before it was quite amazing (laughs) um so he listens to me tell him do my spiel and then like and he kind of has this far off stare he's not really looking at me the whole time but now he like puts his spoon down he literally looks at me and it's like boring into my soul and he says that all sounds good but let me tell you if this doesn't turn out well it's going to end badly for one of us and by that i mean you um (laughs) And then he and then he stood up Ouch. and he goes, "All right, we have a deal, biker deal." and he spits in his hand and he held it out to me and So I did the same thing, and uh, we shook hands, and that wow. was how the deal started with trash, so uh obviously there was a lot of uh pressure on us to perform for a lot of different reasons. Wow hmm. so
1: so <laughs> that's a great story. Let me uh move this forward just a little bit it's been uh, this so this is now eighteen years in the making and you're negotiating rights, you know, way back when, Uh, and the movie, you know, wasn't made for a number of years later, but, but how do you finance that? I mean, I mean, in other words, you got to get seed money. We did new, was it, did you say new line or the production company? Did they give money? Let's go into the kind of the pre-planning prior to pre-production and the, and the, the financing of the project so that you can keep it alive for 18 years.
3: Well, you know, it really um, happened in, in, in several phases um, uh, w- with different groups of people. Um, you know, I, I I had this thing mounted uh, on location. The movie was cast with other actors, some of who ended up in the movie, some of them who didn't. Long before I met Byron, and probably before Philip was born,
2: uh,
3: and uh, <laughs> this was back in the uh, back in the mid middle. Uh, 20, I guess it was around 2007, uh, I think it was, and we were in the Carolinas getting ready to go, and the money collapsed. You know, the, we had the big um, financial debacle here, and everything collapsed all at once. And that's that story was repeated more than once. We weren't quite as far as that. Um, and you know, I would just have to go off and, and work and do other things, and Sydney was off doing other things, and then we would circle back and. I met Byron uh, through his uncle. Um, years later, he said, hey, listen, uh, this guy uh, uh, is, a, is a wonderful uh, DP, and you should meet him. And I met him over at my airplane hangar, and um, I think, Byron, i probably talk to you about The Last Full Measure before I talk to you about the movie we would make first. Isn't that probably right? Yeah,
0: yeah, and we met uh, and sat down for the first time just to do a general talk and get to know each other. We uh, we definitely talked about this movie, and that was, I don't know, what was it, maybe like 2009, so, um, you know, probably uh, eight years before uh, we actually ended up on set.
3: Sure, and we, Byron and I, did a music video together um, at first, and then we did Phantom together, which was uh, its own adventure, and then... Um, there were some starts and stops with this as well. Um, but maybe before I jump into that, um, Sydney, do you have anything to add
5: about the, the financing? Well, just to explain the New Line of it all, I mean, New Line um, got bought by Warner Brothers in the process of us developing um, the project with them, and they their whole mandate changed in terms of the types of movies they wanted to make, and they wanted to lean into more of the genre stuff they were doing, so they... Um, put the film in turnaround, gave us the rights back and the opportunity to set us up elsewhere. And that sort of began the other phase of the film, which was you know, trying to independently finance the movie and cobble it together with various sources. Um, the film ultimately came together because um, another producer who was helping us on it named Lauren Selig um, introduced Todd and the team to Mark Damon over at Foresight Media uh, and Mark was really the one who was the first one to take out his checkbook uh, and start writing checks to getting the ball rolling. Uh, and then a consortium of other uh, independent investors and financiers came on board that Mark was able to cobble together um, to get us going so we could um, begin the process of making the movie.
3: Well, yeah, and it can't be, over, it can't be overemphasized um, how many people we went through uh, trying to put this money together. I mean, it was hundreds of people between Sidney Sherman and Julian Adams and the rest of the crew, the the group, all trying to produce this movie. Um, We literally went through hundreds of people, and each one of those people represents putting a package together and pitching them and, you know, talking endlessly about uh, talent. And, I mean, it was such a time suck I can't even tell you. I mean, I, I probably, if if I hadn't, you know, been so, you know, hell bent on making this movie, I probably would have made three others in the time that I I lost screwing around with this. But uh, in the end, you know, Mark Damon, uh, he was literally the last house on the block, and we had been introduced to some bad actors too along the way that maybe wanted to to um, finance it, but with all kinds of stipulations and. The problem that we always come into, and th- this ultimately uh, sprinkles down to, you know, my work with all of my keys like Byron and Philip, is it all comes down to how much money they're willing to give you to make the film. Now, this is a an epic war movie that we ended up shooting in three different countries and posting uh, all across Europe. And, I mean, in the end, when you really look at the breadth of – how big the production was it was quite enormous and yet they always come to you and want you to do it for 10 20% maybe 50% less than you actually need and we're not talking about you know you know directors wanting like you know a shiny chair or a special car we're not talking about those kind of things we're just talking about the nuts and bolts of getting the movie made and what it means when you remove some of those nuts and bolts and it really is that maybe the thing that I'm most proud of about this production uh, is how everybody came together um, working with far fewer tools than they, they really needed or deserved, uh, and the biggest one being time. Uh, and still, we came out with a movie that we're proud of. So, um it, it's it's really just a brutal process to get something like this done. Well,
1: I, what I think is really very impressive, and I, it, it should speak to filmmakers and artists of, who create content in whatever medium, is, is you know, you have a passion project. It takes you 20 years to get off the ground. Um, and during that time, you have, you have money, you don't have money, you know, you have different people, you have, you know, problems, you know, all these different things. You get rejection, you get, you know, positive stuff. It falls apart you know, and you have to keep everybody involved for all that time. But what you've done is you've assembled your resources. You ultimately ended with the team and you get the movie done and you get it released, you know, and I think that should be, you know, like a testimony of if you really are committed to your project and you really want to see it through, you can almost accomplish anything that you put your mind and your heart into provided that you do assemble the right, you know, team of people, players with you who, who will come on and help you get your vision made and, and, you know, who all have a stake in, in getting it done. Um, and that's just a little, uh, I think should go without saying, but I hope people realize how much energy time effort, you know, sweat and everything that you put into getting this thing made. Um, how do you keep people involved for 18 years without them going astray? And Philip is there. And I, and I, and I want to be sure that we get to Philip here too. Um, uh, and I and I want to also say that you know we're we're burning up time and we're very we don't have a I mean we've got two more guests coming on in a little while and and there's a lot to cover so I, I just want to put this out for the listening audience that that if it's all okay with you gentlemen I'd love to have you back on uh, you know for a, a follow up to this show so but how do you keep people involved for uh, eighteen years through the ups and downs the roller coaster ride of that production. Hey, Todd, being one of those people, I'd be happy uh, to um, answer,
0: too. Yeah, go ahead, Byron. Oh, I was just going to say, just to add on to what you both have been saying, to give a little context, you know, from somebody who's a crew member, you know, oftentimes I get hired on a commercial or music video, and, you know, you get hired a week before or a couple days before, and you do the job and you make your money, and it's great because, you know, I do it because I love it, but I also do it because it's a paycheck. But when you sign on to a movie like this, you know, I was on. I was talking to Todd about it, what, seven, eight years before, um, two years before I was going on scouts for, you know, a week where we were looking at South Carolina. I would I went on scouts for multiple weeks in Georgia, <clears throat> at least six months before we made this movie. And that doesn't even count all the times that Todd and I got together to talk about the script, get on the phone to talk about it, um, talk to different line producers or people throughout the, um, throughout the process to talk about, hey, what is this going to cost? How do we budget this from your department? So, you know, as a DP, I think if you want to do a movie like this, if you want to do a movie that's special, if you want to do a great script, you oftentimes have to put in the extra work. And, and it started with a great a great script of course and a great story Um, but you know you have to you know Todd kept me engaged on it and and not only because of my relationship with him but mostly also because of you know the content of the movie and how good it is and you know realizing how special it is and possibly a once in a lifetime opportunity to make a movie like this so you know to any of the aspiring crew members or DPs out there you know I think it is important to know that you know you don't just drop into a movie like this you may drop into it but more often than not if you want to make something special you've got to put in the time and you're going to have to put in the extra time where you're not being paid and that is not at all a complaint it's just you know the fact of the matter in terms of getting a movie made like this it's not just the producers it's not just uh, the director who's going to put in all this extra time and years it's you know it's going to be the other key crew members to really help it get pushed along and help it get made
3: and uh, to add on to that you know byron also you know, made a real effort because I guess he wanted to be in business with me on some level. Um, I mean, he, he, the first mu- music video, video we did, it was financed, but we didn't get paid for it. Um, he then went on to work with my son and really tutelage my son, um, mentor him, uh, who was in film school at the time and came and actually shot one of his projects for him. So all of this trust and goodwill is being built up over time and none of it's really wasted because we're getting to know each other we're building you know uh a, 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 an ability to speak to each other without speaking um i already know i'm i'm fully uh, vested in in byron's ability to get it done without me having to worry about anything we've already talked about it well i mean we even did a trip to new york um where i think i isn't that the one where we got shipwrecked at sea byron
5: that is true <laughs>
3: I yeah. we went out in the ocean and my boat broke, but, um, but we spent a week just sitting on my mom's porch, um, you know, doing uh, you know, sort of plan view um, camera position things. We didn't even have locations yet, but we were, we were having the creative uh, conversation about um, what are, what are each of these scenes about and how, you know, what is the look that we want? Where are we going to put the cameras? How are we going to lens it? All of those things. And we, in reality we really needed that time that we put in because when we finally got to set, we had half the time that we really needed to make the movie. And so, you know, I couldn't you know, Byron didn't get everything he wanted. I certainly didn't get everything I wanted, but, you know, I had to get the hell out of his way and let him work. But I had the confidence to, to know that he would get it done because I'd already been working with him for a number of years so you, that it can't be, over again, overemphasized how valuable that was um, by the time we got there because we had already done the work. We weren't making it up on the day.
1: That's awesome. And and let me just interject because I'm thrilled to have Byron on the show, and, and I, want, I want to let you know because, uh, Todd, you and I talked about Phantom when it first came out, and I had the uh, opportunity to be on a submarine with my son overnight uh and was just shocked at the size of the sub and how difficult it must have been to maneuver, you know, and to have a camera and to have a crew inside, you know, a a, a submarine and then, and to make a movie. And I and you know, we had discussed it when we talked about the Phantom on the show, but but now I'm 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 here with that the the director of photography for both that and Lastville measure. So I I'm thrilled to have you here, Brian. At Byron. And um and uh, how do you? I mean, you know, in other words, in working with tight situations and or under time constraints, and when you can't get everything you want, or like whether it was Phantom or Last Full Measure, um, do you have some a, a kind of credo or a, an operating principle that you go by that uh, kind of allows you to organize your workflow so that uh, you that you might be able to share with uh, other uh, aspiring cinematographers?
0: Or yeah, I mean. Yeah, I absolutely do. I mean, for me, especially when you're doing a feature film, but, you know, I I practice this all the time on music videos and commercials, especially music videos, because you end up with a very short time with the artist. But for me, it's about looking at the project, about what the movie needs, what look, you know, it, it... when I read it or I talk to the director, what, what we feel like it needs, but then also balancing the amount of time. So if you end up with half the time, you may have to adjust how you how you do things. And so um, I always try to look at, you know, whether it's a submarine that's a very small space that, you know, we're going to put, um, you know, little sliders in there and keep it very small and use a lot of practical lights and use very small lights hidden in uh, different places uh, in order to achieve the goal or when it comes to the last full measure where, you know, I knew that we had a a lot of great actors and they really, we needed to give them the time and Todd the time to give, you know, to give great performances. So, you know, in that movie, in this movie, I, really did my best to try to keep as much of the equipment outside of the room. So we tried to pick locations with big windows um, or the ability to light um, outside and, and push light through and then keep, you know, minimal, minimal gear inside so we could move as fast as possible. We could make sure that we got the right coverage. Um, and that instead of putting a light in here, we could put a second camera in and, and really, you know, really build. I try to build the workflow uh, to the time, um, and to the strengths of whatever we need. And, and most importantly here, like I said, the actors were just unbelievable. The script was unbelievable. And I felt like you know, my cinematography, as much as I would love to stylize everything, I tried to give it a very natural look to really let the actors and the story be the showcase rather than trying to you know, make my work the showcase because to me that wouldn't have uh, served the story
1: that's awesome that's awesome now somebody who's been sitting i want to kind of jump because we're we haven't even really talked production other than the uh, than right now what we were discussing in terms of how you um, envision things and how you move your camera and how you set things up but i want to come back to all of this and and so we're going to bounce so because somebody sitting very patiently and is is philip klein who composed he's a composer and um, and i want to bring philip on to talk about uh when you got involved philip and and uh and and your process for um scoring the movie because obviously music plays such an important part in in um help helping people to feel what's not only coming down the road or what's important at this moment but to you know it's the it's the thing that connects us emotionally also to the visual images so um philip welcome and um and and how did you how did you get involved and, and then let's go from the, uh, how you, your process in terms of, of, of attaching a score, composing a score for this feature.
4: Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Uh, yeah. And don't worry. I'm, I'm always, I am always come in right at the last moment. That's the composer's <laughs> job. Um, I, uh, 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 let's see the first call I got, this was actually from, um, Alan Silvestri, uh, very well-known composer. It's, uh, all Zemeckis' movies, uh, uh, Back to the Future films, and uh, he is good friends with Mark Damon, and Mark Damon was kind of on the hunt um, for a composer who could, could work on this film, and, and uh, Alan and I have been kind of in a mentor-mentee relationship for several years, and uh, he gave me a, a ring and said, I got a call, and I want to give your name forward, you know, which was a huge honor from somebody like that, and Um, I got on the phone with Mark Damon and he explained the project in in the most basic form as he could and then I was thrilled um, not only because it was kind of an opportunity for me to to kind of step out on my own i had done so much support writing for other composers and orchestrating and and I was kind of itching to to get out there on my own and do something with my own voice and um, so I put together a some music I'd already written and I actually recorded some new music um, that I thought was appropriate for the film and then sent it in and said a prayer um, and uh, got a phone call about a week later and then he set up a meeting with Todd and um, the editor and uh, that was my first interaction with Todd and we just kind of watched some scenes and talked about the music and and then I think we were on our way really um, and that was probably... Three years before the movie came out, so, um, wow. I was I was certainly not involved as long as everyone else on this call, um, which is pretty normal for a composer. We tend to come in near the end of the process, or editing, or um, very rarely. And it's something that I would you know love to do is you get in as they're doing pre-production or you know starting to shoot because you get a better feel for what's going on. But um, you know, Todd and I had a lot of time to just talk about approach and and all that stuff. And then I I just start throwing things against picture and jotting ideas down, and you just try to find what works, what doesn't work, what what sounds right, what doesn't sound right, what what emotions this needs, what emotions are too much. Um, I think the challenge on a film like this is that it's already such a powerful story and and, and picture that. Uh, you can really push it too far with music. You know, it it can really be borderline, you know, sappy and and, and manipulative in all the wrong ways. And uh, I think we were both very conscious and and cognitive of trying not to do that. So um, there was a lot of time trying to balance the right amount of push and, and, and help that we gave it through the music.
3: You know, it's it's interesting uh, the relationship between a director and a composer uh, because it's a it's in some ways it's the, a really difficult one. It's because how do you explain to somebody uh, what you would like to hear when you've never heard it, um, when it when it doesn't yet exist? And what tends to happen is, you know, ever since we got came along with digital editing and the ability to drop in temporary music or a temp score, you know, you as a as a, a filmmaker and the editor, you're sitting in the room every day and you're listening to Alvin Silvestri's score or, you know, we, we're, we're pulling music from great movies and dropping it in. Uh, and then you tend to get used to it and maybe you even fall in love with it. And by the time you ever get to the composer, not only are you not really describing uh, the ideas that you originally had before there was any music, but you' you're also um, polluting his mind, and you're limiting his imagination or her imagination, because they're they're having to listen to this damn temp score. and uh, and, and it's a very, very difficult, uncomfortable process sometimes. Um, but the thing with Philip was that the second he started writing sketches, um, I forgot what music we had in the movie. And he would write things and, you know, do them on his MIDI or whatever, and he would send them over, and we would start to drop them into the into the movie as we were, you know, fine-tuning the cut. Um, and so that was a process that took probably months. And so by the time Philip went to record the music, we really already had a version of the score in the picture. And uh, that was... Um, I don't know, maybe that's not unique, but uh, for me, it, it went very easily um, and just sort of slid in, and it, it's not always like that. And he was... And and Philip came
1: in after picture was locked?
3: No. Uh, no, I think... No. Were, no, no, that would have been no. too easy. <laughs> I think Philip was writing
4: sketches and we kept changing it on him. Isn't that what happened, Phil? So. Yeah, which is fairly normal now. I mean, the advent of digital technology, as Todd to said, it makes it very easy to, to edit, you know, until the, basically the last minute. Um, so yeah, I, I mean, there was so much kind of work to be kind of finished on the movie still when I got involved, and they were, you know, there was they were trying to figure out the best way to pace uh, the opening of the film and the end of the film and all this stuff, and, and as a composer, you kind of go into those situations saying, well, I'm going to do this version of this scene and, and if it gets if it gets chopped up or if it gets rearranged, then you just, you know, you, you get in there and you deal with what's happened. But I don't think, I I mean, it was never, I never saw what they did and had to sit back and take a walk because it was too much for me to handle. I mean, I think I just, you know, you, you, uh, you process what they've done and then make the edits that need to be done. But I mean, going back to what Todd was saying too, about communication, I, I, I think that when I, first start talking to a director and certainly Todd I I mean he was very clear with me from the beginning that he knew just enough about music to be dangerous. Um but <laughs> I uh I I I encourage directors to kind of use feelings when they talk to me because it's it's less it's less uh scary to say I want to feel this way or we should be feeling that way or rather than saying, you know, like I'm thinking big orchestra with trombones and we need trumpets and we need a solo cello here and we need because you know technically it's not even your responsibility to kind of know those terms it's my responsibility to kind of interpret what you're telling me and put those into musical terms so and and i find that it kind of calms directors down if there's any nerves that they have about how how do I talk about these things, you know, because it is a very subjective thing. I mean, we all feel something different when we hear music. So it's, it's finding, it's finding those common commonalities in in vernacular that we can all use that lets us talk to each other easily without any kind of, you know, oh gosh, I'm not even sure what to say about this. So, um, I mean, but Todd was always so clear about what was it, what was needed and what he wanted and, it was, it was pretty easy process for me. I just had to stay out of the way.
1: Yeah. <laughs> well, that's a uh, very, very, um, fascinating because, you know, this is a, a team with a lot of working parts and we've jumped from, you know, the very beginning to kind of close to the, not the end, but the, ne- nearing the end of the process and, and, uh, we'll have to come back and, and forth, um, Further, but what I would like to ask all of you, I, just uh, for the purposes of um, uh, understanding how how you work together, is what about production meetings? I mean, whether it's a producer director production meeting, or producer director uh, cinematographer meeting, director of photography, or music meeting, uh, or working with the keys. Uh, how, how do you? Uh, can you talk a little bit about your process and and uh, and how you keep it? together, I guess,
3: would be the way to, uh, for me to phrase it. Well, I'll start off, and then I'll kick it over to Byron and, and, and Sydney, um, because they can talk more specifically. But the, in the beginning, you know, you have key players that you're working with. You know, it starts really with uh, the production designer and, uh, and all the people that work under that person. Um, there's the camera department. Everyone's uh, answering to Byron, um, et cetera uh the sound department um in today's world you know we we usually have a visual effects department that's there making sure you know coordinating with byron Um, we we had a lot of or several rather large challenges in this where we knew we were going to have to recreate a lot of things some green screen work and so forth and uh but it to to focus on the camera department because byron's here um it's not uh it's typical of the way that i work with everybody which is, it's really all about, you know, we're designing the film together in, in, in those early, early meetings, and we're getting on the same page. And for me, it, it, where it really starts to come together, I would say the movie gets made in the van, and that van is usually on the way to a location scout or coming back from a location scout. And we scouted this movie endlessly um, for a variety of reasons, but uh, things changed constantly. We never planned to go to Thailand. We never, certainly never planned to go to Costa Rica. Um, and uh, the, the, so the, there was a constant challenge about how are we going to do Vietnam? How are we going to recreate Vietnam? And, uh, you know, Byron and I started with a bunch of ideas, and they, they changed. It was a very, very fluid thing. But that's, again, where that, the conversation, the creative conversation really began. And you really, it's, it's Phillip's uh, term, you know, I then need to get out of the way um, of, of the, the keys because I've hired them because they're way better at what they do than I am. And so then it becomes, you know, I, uh, me trying to communicate what I've been seeing in my head, dealing with the reality of the... The, the locations and then Byron coming in and trying to sculpt that with lens and light. Oh, fantastic. Fantastic. Um, and Todd. Hello. That was Todd. Uh, I think, uh, yeah, uh, that
1: was Todd. I think oh, Byron a uh,
0: comment. Yeah. I'm sorry. Byron. Sure. Um, yeah, I mean, I think what, you know, what Todd said about, um, you know, the movie being made in a van, I think it's definitely true. And, and, you know, the pre-production process on a movie like this is just so important. I mean, you just, you you can't, you can't do enough to be prepared and to be in each other's heads so that when you get on set, um, it's just, it's a very natural um, progression to either uh, execute what you've done or, you know, have the background knowledge to throw it all out the window because you have, you know, any, some. You know, certain kind of uh, issue or uh, challenge, um, but I think you know that we we this movie we uh, we planned ahead of time, and as Todd said, um, doing everything that was in you know the 1999, the closer to present day, I think was um, was was definitely the I don't want to say it was easier, but it had its own challenges. But the Vietnam portion of this was was the part that, um, you know, no matter how prepared you were, you still had to kind of roll with the punches. You know, we never set out to make a Vietnam movie, per se. I mean, we weren't going to compete with Apocalypse Now. We weren't going to compete with uh, Platoon, but you know, we wanted to make our own version of these uh, these fragmented memories of these soldiers and to to do it all justice and and we planned it in a number of different places and ended up in Thailand, which was a fantastic. Um, place with amazing resources and just looked absolutely beautiful and um, you know all the preparation that we we had done throughout the years definitely helped us once we got there to adapt to uh, a location that was that we hadn't planned on shooting but was a hundred times better than any location we were going to shoot at so um, you know once again just the the preparation is is always important but being able to you know go on the fly and and be able to uh, you know roll with the punches is is definitely a big thing on a movie like this
3: and so, to that point you know the the thing the thing about the, the vietnam sequences in the movie uh and and i think this is for uh, you know a, a journeyman filmmaker somebody coming up this w- is a, a great lesson you know i you have to sometimes separate yourself from the original idea that you had and because i'm a writer director it's twice as hard because you, you become, uh, you know, really committed to what you have on paper. And, again, because we had no time, we shot our Vietnam sequences um, with helicopters, untold explosions, guns, a wardrobe, in, in a really hostile environment um, with a crew of, I think it was over 300 people. I mean, it was oh an enormous God. production, and, and we only had six days to do it. And, wow. you know, if um, if Mr. Spielberg were making this, he would have had, you know, 40 days to do the sequence, you know, and we had six. And plus, uh, you know, again, like ridiculous conditions. It was really hot and terrible and buggy. And uh, and then we had we, – we were not close to the location, so we had to drive two and four. I think it was at least an hour um, to get to location, and that eats into your day as well. But we had very carefully planned out a linear approach to how the battle began, uh, where, where the soldiers went, what happened to them. And, and we worked really hard on trying to get clarity so that the audience didn't become confused. And in the end, we just didn't have the time to do that. It was just not possible. And so... We had to sort of we're back on our heels a little bit, and we had to, to to rethink the whole thing and just go well. What do these men talk about most when they talk about their their the, again these fragmented memories of what happened? And it 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 all had to do with confusion and chaos. Nobody knew where anybody else was. It was this vastly dense jungle, um, and so we just sort of adapted. Hello. We just adapted um, to this uh, idea of chaos, and it ended up working out beautifully because it really doesn't matter why these guys got where they got. It's just that they were there in a really bad spot, and the real story point is that a guy who didn't know these Army guys getting slaughtered on the ground volunteered to go down and be among them. That was the whole point and their reaction to that the 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 data points about how they got there and who ordered them there, and those kind of things in the end didn't matter and I think it serves the movie better, but it really all had to do with the fact that we were limited on time that we came up with uh, a creative solution that ended up you know i think being better for the film yeah and what makes it, what makes those sequences
0: amazing in my opinion is that they're not all green screen there's not there's very limited effects going on i mean we shot almost. Everything practical. We added some tracers, and we added. Right. Um, you know, Are you hearing a few ringing? Little... Yes. Yes. yes
1: oh, ringing. Okay. I don't know why that is. <laughs> it, it, it shouldn't occur. I, the technical snap over here.
0: Um, we're, we're just chatting we're, away. It's
1: all good. Yep. Keep talking. I was just going Go to try to ignore
0: the ringing. It's like a ringing in my ears after uh, an explosion. Please leave your message Vietnam. for
2: exactly. John Savage.
0: Uh, we were yeah, trying yeah. to reach Travis right. so we
2: had got to reach him. There
1: you He's go. He's an important guy John, to John, get we, on. Don't a
2: really long message now. <laughs> <laughs>
1: right. John yeah, was show with us. I'll oh, yeah. call Well, just so the audience knows, and I just didn't know that the ringing would come through. That's very, very odd that that would happen. Uh, we have Travis on the line, and Travis is going to be sitting patiently for a little bit. That's Travis Aaron Wade, one of the actors and and, and the co producer in the movie. But we're going to be talking to him about the acting, and, and then we'll be trying to get a hold of John Savage, who's also in the movie. So uh, just a heads up, and they'll be coming on in about 10 minutes. So, um, yeah. Go ahead. I'm, oh, Byron, happy
5: yeah. the, I'm happy to add on Byron to the add on Byron was making a salient bit. point. Yes. Yeah.
0: So, <laughs> I, can, I can make it quickly and then pass it on. To no, 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 only... no, no, no.
5: I thought you were done. Sorry, go ahead.
0: Oh, well, I could be. I mean, the, the whole point was is that, you know, we ended up in Thailand where there was a lot of great resources and where the backgrounds looked obviously just like Vietnam because it's right next to it. And we had uh, great crews. And and like Todd said, there was over 300 people on the crew. We had somebody to do everything. And we ended up being able to, you know, really shoot this movie practically. And and it's a a testament to, um, I guess, hopefully our preparation, but also to the producers for giving us the resources and for Thailand for, you know, for having all these great resources and crews you know, there's a few tracer bullets. There's a few, um, you know, add-ons and and, and things like that. But really overall, um, um, this movie was shot, all the Vietnam sequence was shot practically, which is not something that happens that often these days. And I think that it really shows. And, uh, you know, we didn't add a bunch of explosions or things like that. It was all done on set. And that made it, A, more exciting to shoot and, B, hopefully more exciting for the audience to, you know, have a, something that's real for a change.
1: Now, let me chime in because I just want to say absolutely.
0: I mean, I, I'm a huge fan of practical
1: effects over CGI and, and special effects. I get it, you know, when, when they need to use them, but uh, no, it it does. It makes it more real. And it's also, I think the viewer has just even unconsciously when they see something that is, is a practical effect versus a CGI effect. It just, it just changes the entire experience of the movie. You know, I know that there's more effort that went into it um, when, when, you know, in terms of calculating what you have to do and capturing that on film and capturing the sound and doing the whole thing. Um, So I I appreciate it far more when it's a a practical effect. So that's just my two cents.
5: Um, Sydney, go. Cool. Well, I was just going to talk about the, um, you were talking about how we do the meetings and things like that. Yeah. A couple of unique things about the movie. I mean, I really see it as almost, we plan shooting two different films in a way. Um, And by that, I mean, there was the principle of present day, which was shot primarily in Atlanta. And originally we thought we were going to be able to shoot the whole movie uh, in Atlanta, or we were going to try to. Um, and the, the super challenge of doing this film, which was, you're talking about having meetings. Really in Atlanta is when we had all our keys and everyone together, and we had this sort of huge meeting, you know, in a giant warehouse. And everyone kind of updated on what we were doing. And then after that it just really becomes breakout meetings where you're Todd and you know different people are meeting with different keys and going through, you know, what their various needs are for that department. And all along while well, that's happening and we're planning for this year in Atlanta for the present day stuff. Hello? Hey John, we're on um, the air. <laughs> So while that's all happening, we're still casting the movie because not all the roles are cast. So that's taken up part of uh, the day just in terms of getting things done. And then we're doing breakout meetings about planning, shooting the war part of the film and the battle, which is like a completely different film with a whole different cast, um, completely different period. And because we didn't know where we were shooting, uh, potentially a whole different crew except for, you know, our keys. So if you think about all those balls in the air at the same time, uh, it's really incredibly taxing. Uh, A credit to all the principals who worked on the film, the keys and the Todd's focus and the other producers um, and our ADs were amazing um, to keep us on point and to get that all done. It was a huge logistical challenge. And ultimately we had to stop down after we finished in Atlanta uh, longer than we thought to regroup uh in terms of the second half of the shoot and we ended up in thailand which as Todd and byron said was a great surprise because we never intended to be there um, but it ended up working out for us but just a huge undertaking especially under the limited amount of time we had in budget uh, for a movie of this size and scope um it's a minor miracle a quick question did
1: you happen to decided to go to Thailand before you began the production or you didn't change in the middle of production, I assume?
5: No, the Thailand it was in, after, the of, after, in the middle yeah, of we post. Were already, Yeah, we were in post on the first oh, half wow. of the film and figuring out where we were going to shoot the the war scenes of the film Got it. and Thailand ended up becoming a great opportunity for us for a lot of different reasons
1: Okay, cool. Very, very cool um, you know, This is thrilling You know what, I'm just going to take our, our short break now and I'll bring on Travis and I'll bring on John, and we'll continue the discussion uh, about uh, making the last full measure. You are, uh, so everybody sit patiently, and and I won't mute you all if you can just not make any noise in the background. I don't. I'll be honest. I have no, I don't have any idea why you're hearing ringing and the phones. You, you, normally you should never hear that. Uh, this platform seems to be going through. Uh, different changes, for example, just so the listeners know, I'm unable to open my chat room, and I've been dealing with support for months now with this, and they keep saying, well, I don't know, you should be able to open it, and they're just not not around to it. So uh, you're listening to Rex Sykes Movie Beat. All of these discussions that you're listening to today, for example, you can get at blogtalkradio.com. That's blogtalkradio.com. If you're listening live or if you're listening recorded, the very same link that you're listening from can be used to, to share with your friends, to post on a social media, to tweet about. And I encourage you to do that. I encourage you to leave comments wherever you're able to, whether that's Facebook or an Instagram or uh, on blog talk radio itself, but uh, help get the word out. If you're enjoying these uh, discussions, please help promote the show. Whenever you see it, if there's somebody's stirring coffee or something in the background or making noise. If you could hold off doing that, or uh, that would be fantastic. Um, but uh, so, you're listening to Rex Likes, Movie Beat. My guests today are writer-director Todd Robinson, producer Sidney Sherman, uh, cinematographer, de- director of photography Byron Warner, and uh, Philip Klein, composer, orchestrator. I'm going to be bringing on Travis Aaron Wade, and Travis is a U.S. Marine veteran with over 20-year career in the entertainment industry. He's been after acting in 30 projects he discovered his true passion lies in producing and he now spends his time helping people develop their intellectual property and getting it on the big screen with his new company iPitch co-founded with Vicky Bartel or Bartle? Bartle. Travis also teaches the arts to children and young adults uh, in Vietnam and some of which have gone on to compete in uh, Miss Universe and Miss World where he's also a public speaking coach for several contestants. John Savage probably needs No introduction. He's an actor with over 236 film credits to his name. John is an American actor best known for his roles in Deer Hunter, The Onion Field, Hare, Salvador, and Dubious Battle. TV shows like Goliath, Twin Peaks, and Dark Angel, plus Todd's The Last Full Measure. In the early 70s, John made his Broadway debut in the chorus of Fiddler on the Roof, and he played one of the sons after an actor fell sick opposite Zero Mostel, and his performance caught the eye of Robert De Niro. And that recognition led him to his first major film role in the Academy Award-winning drama, Deer Hunter. So I'm going to be bringing on uh, Travis to say hello, and then we'll be bringing on John. Is this Travis? How are you?
6: I'm doing great, guys. How are you?
1: Fantastic. All of your friends are here, and we'll be uh, we'll be all talking together in just a moment. If that have here, I'm going to bring on John. There's some background noise, if you can make, try to minimize it. And uh John. <laughs> John. Hello. How are you? Hello, John. Uh, How are you?
2: Oh, I'm I'm great. It's great listening to you. And uh and Travis, hey man. Um, hey, John, Todd, I, much. I, oh, much better now. <laughs> yeah. Cool.
1: So we have we've think, got Todd uh, we, yeah. we've got Todd, we've got Sydney, we've got Byron, we've got Philip, we've got John, and we've got Travis all here talking about the last full measure. So what I would like to do is, is ask how, uh, and maybe Todd, you want to start this off ask, or Sydney, how John and, and Travis both got involved in the movie through casting or, or, or how, how, how that came about. And, and obviously John and Travis can chime in too, but.
3: Sure. Uh, well, the, Travis came to me because, uh, he had done a, a short film with Sydney, uh, and uh, they already had a relationship And we had met I think we went and saw a play maybe Together uh, and then had dinner Afterwards with our Respective uh, wives And um, uh, we just You know started chatting we had um, You know clearly things in common And uh, Travis Is uh, Sidney had mentioned The project to Travis because Travis is A, 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 a marine veteran And thought mm-hmm. that he would respond to the material And so we just sort of had this ongoing, you know, conversation. And then when I got into the casting uh, of the, of the picture, I, you know, casting is so um, time consuming and uh, exhausting in a way. And, you know, it was not, there's, it's never really a, well, it's a different set of problems to hire people um, uh, who are movie stars like John, but, uh, uh, but it's, it's the, it's the, all the younger parts. It's the smaller pieces that um, are so important and critical um, because they have to be at the same level uh, as the rest of the, of the folks. And that's a discovery process. And uh, Travis volunteered to come in and read for every, with every one of these actors, which is something that I insist on because as a former actor myself, I know how difficult it is to sometimes read with the casting director who isn't even trained to be an actor. They don't even know to look up from the page sometimes. And, um, and so Travis actually sat there and read with hundreds of actors. And, you know, we would push these guys, you know, trying to, you know, see what, what they were made of, try to trigger them a little bit, try to just, you know, get them to, uh, you know, not even work for a result, but rather just be And, you know, I take a lot of time with with folks because they prepare, they come, um, they, you know, they're they're giving me a part of their day, and I want to give them the time that they deserve um, so that I can start to understand who they actually are, not who they think I want them to be. And so Travis came in and uh, exhaustively put in uh, many, 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 many hours with these folks. And then... uh, and he also um, brought uh, to my attention Dale Dye, who, of course, I, I knew all about, but never thought I didn't even occur to me I could get him for a, a movie this small. And Dale is um, also Marine, and uh, you know is, is an institution in Hollywood in terms of preparing actors um, to play soldiers in movies. Um, Saving Private Ryan comes to mind. There's some great um, footage of him training Tom Hanks and the guys. And so uh that all sort of came together and then um uh he came on board uh when we were in prepper and prep and stuff and started taking on producerial um uh capacities uh we needed um actors wrangled and and so forth and so he stepped in to do a lot of that he can talk about that um John uh I had worked with um Together in White Squall, uh, which was really my first big movie uh, that Ridley Scott directed. And uh, we became pals uh, after that. And John and I are also neighbors uh, in Malibu, so I would bump into John at uh, Little League games and things over the years. And so, you know, we, we sort of stayed aware of each other. And then um, John came in uh, and actually uh, read for us and uh, just. It, it was a magical moment, um, hearing John take these words and and I stopped hearing the words, and I just started watching behavior and um, It was just it was, and, and then and there was this other wonderful thing about John, which was it felt to me like if you could have taken that char- his character from the deer hunter and brought him all the way forward thirty years, he might have been a guy like this. And so there was some poetry in that as well. So um, that's how those two gentlemen came to be uh, a part of our collage.
1: Oh, that's amazing. I want to give them an opportunity to. I, I simply want to say that some of the guests today I'm meeting for the first time, or you know. And but uh, Julian Adams, who you mentioned, has been a guest on the show before, and. Is, and is somebody who you know for listeners to know and John has been a guest on on my show before and so he's returning it's great to reacquaint uh, with both, with John and 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 everyone so um let's let's go with uh Travis Yes sir are you there Yes sir so let me ask you this because um uh One, I want to ask you what it was like being former military and then being in a military movie and then, you know, working in the film and then also seeing the film. What what is that experience like for you? Um, And I also want to ask another question right up front. And that was the casting process where you're reading with all these other actors and, and 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 how that. Either helped you, you know, with with what you were going to be able to do, or how you helped them, being that you were an actor, which is what Todd was mentioning.
6: Well, it was humbling. Um, it was a humbling experience to, you know, work as as long as as I had in the entertainment industry, and have an opportunity like this come through Sydney, and then obviously Todd had to make the call to ask me to be a part of the film, and then from that point on, uh, after reading the script, which I, I've said multiple times, it's it's, I would say, one of the best scripts that I've ever read in Hollywood. Uh, wow. over All the
2: years. That I've cool. Done.
6: Yeah. Very cool. I mean, I, you know, I've known Todd long enough. I don't have to kiss his rear end. Sure. But uh, <laughs> I definitely, um,
2: but I've go read ahead. enough scripts. <laughs> yeah, go
6: ahead. Yeah. But I've, I've, <laughs> I've, I've read enough scripts. Um, You read enough material, and then you obviously prepare the material for the audition. But you, you have to read the script, and, and many of them are very difficult to get through. Mm-hmm. And I remember reading... I remember reading Todd's script and um, just from the moment I started reading it to the time I finished it, I was, the story was so compelling. And I mean, obviously why everyone stuck with it so long and wanted to get it told was this, this script that I had just put down. I just said whatever it took to, to get it made. And, um, and that was just a humbling experience to get the opportunity to be a part of such a, a big film. I mean you could read it And you could see the scope of it And you knew this was going to be a big film And you knew each and every role Was going to be cast with somebody very special You know at the time We didn't know who those people were But you just knew every every individual role In the film was going to be very special And, and I just wanted to be a part of that And so the kind of Finally, get that opportunity after so many years in Hollywood, wanting to make a movie that that you could bring your own personal experiences to and your own personal history, and then to work and collaborate with guys like Todd and Sydney and and uh, and Byron, and 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 then obviously the cast. Um, John and I have built a pretty incredible friendship over the past four years. You know, you just look at this and you just go, um, yeah, I can check this. I can check this this box off. I I can I can hang my hat on this on this story and this, this project. And so very humbling, I would say it just, in, in short to just be a part of it all. I mean, it's, it's just an epic film. You know, it's, for me, it's right up there Indeed. with the films that I grew up. I grew up wanting to be a part of. It's the reason why I ended up wanting to be in the entertainment industry was to make the saving private Ryan's or the platoons or the brave hearts. Um, and for me, uh, I finally feel like, you know, I, I was able to be a part of one of those films. I I think this will have very long legs and I think it'll be something that goes down um, in the archives. Eventually, I I think it'll be in the film archives. And it's something I think veterans and people struggling with PTSD and people who need some help, it'd be great for them to sit through this film and watch it because you come out, you come out feeling good on the other side and that's rare. That's really rare.
1: Well, a good point. Excellent point. Thank you for sharing that. Um, let me turn to John, John and say, hey, John, you um, have been uh, in, in, in many, many projects and other war movies, and of course, starting with something like The Deer Hunter. Uh, but now you're in Last Full Measure and you're working with Todd. Um, what was that, what's that experience like for you? And, and, uh, and, uh, and how do you feel about the film now that, uh, now that uh, it's complete and it's out there? Rex. Yes.
2: Hey. John. Thank Amen. you. You know, bringing the guys together, uh, this is a community, uh, you know, between your part in the media and sharing, like, your, your appreciation with us. These guys, I mean, the closeness of people in the business is where it's at. And, uh, you know, I had worked with Todd. I had a blast on that movie with Jeff Bridges and Ridley Scott and everybody. And uh, just this introduction to a Marine uh, with Travis and the guys we read through the script, I needed to be just a part of that from there with the others working to support this effort. That meant as much if they hadn't taken me into the film, I was a part of it. It was in my heart. And uh, the men who were there who had served, like Travis, I grew up with the military, Second World War, post-Second World War, Korean War, and, and men in the house recovering, if you want to call it that. My grandpa was in the first, and he was brought in to live with us after serving in France and Verdun, and thousands were killed with gas. But the recovery with men and women was part of my life. If you want to call that part of that life when men and women now more than ever women ranking officers are coming home, which is a big deal and the the effort of uh, uh, through stories telling stories are like telling a child a story about life with uh, animals or birds and things and a spirit of life an image of not so mysterious because animals are a lot easier to understand. But the (laughs) idea that these, these stories with the spirit of true experience, like with Travis bring something out now that I had been seeing in a lot of the groups that I would get together with, with men and women in the military, just getting together and, first responders now by Travis's grace to introduce me to SAW Save a Warrior uh, and other great efforts by my uh, my associate a great actor and he did so much with the the effort with the Wounded Warrior Um, it means a lot to the whole community and that's one of the things in this script how many people are actually affected how many people are involved in a war, people like me, when I was a kid at home, uh, then with the beginning of the return of vets from Korea, but also from then later on, the lives that they had, they had to go through with the effect of that effort. It's they changed people, and still today, I feel that effort for the challenges we're facing in the world today. I mean, in, 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 in Travis's S.A.W., there's first responders, there's firefighters, men and women, nurses, uh, captains and uh, m- women, women uh, who have reached high ranks, uh, officers, men and women. And, um, the re- I call it recovery after maybe sobriety, if that's the case, but after just dealing with two different worlds or many different worlds and finding yourself again in relationships and with others, movies, I think are this, like this film can bring you through it and bring you up and, uh, and lift that's, it. That's and, an uh, excellent point. Yeah.
1: Uh, you, you know, you talk about so many things and that so many different people from so many varied walks of life through so many different uh, forms of recovery or people, you know, in the process of, of, uh, uh, of moving from, uh, one situation to another, maybe a less than glorious situation to another situation, um, can be touched and affected by a movie like this. And Travis made the point too, you know, that it's it's an uplifting movie, and that uh, you get through. I, I, I want, I really want to ask this question though, as well, um, of Sydney and 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 Todd and you guys, in terms of that first table read when you all just sat down and you read through the script together. One, uh, Todd, how is that for you know, bringing your work to life when you hear it for maybe the first time, and maybe, I don't know, maybe you did many different table reads over the years, but uh, but having John and Travis and, and the different actors uh, all assembled in one place, and and, and and then you hear it, and then now you're gonna shape that, shape, uh, bring whatever they bring, and shape it into the film that you ultimately end
3: up putting out there. Well, the, my my first response is what table read? <laughs>
1: <laughs> uh, you
3: know, uh, I, the, the cast is so, w- was so varied and uh, there's so many busy people among them uh, that it really wasn't possible to ever get the whole cast together at one time. Uh, and that even included the Medal of Honor ceremony at the end of the movie. We still had the fake Ed Harris in there because he, he the schedule didn't permit him to be there. And John wasn't there either, actually. Um, but what what the process really was was um, I would have the actors over to my home. Uh, uh, John came over, um, William Hurt came, Sebastian, um, and at various times when people were available in in town. And it really revolved around Sebastian because he's in every single scene in the movie. Um, And then I would just get the guys together, and, you know, we would read through the text, but it was really more about discussing what we thought the scenes were about and what the movie was about in general and getting to know each other, um, especially between Sebastian and all these sort of Titans of industry, you know, um, and he had that opportunity with William and with, with John uh, and others, but he didn't have it, for example, with, um, with Ed because Ed came in later and he didn't have that opportunity with Sam. So, For him as an actor, it was interesting because, um, uh, in some circumstances he knew the people already and they had worked through some of this. And in others, it was entirely reactive. Um, which, you know, on some level was maybe even better, uh, for, uh, for the movie. Um, I remember one anecdote where, um, there, there was a scene where Ed and I think it was the first day they were working together. And, uh, uh, Sebastian came up to me and sort of whispered in my ear. Uh, he says, "You know, I don't know if he's going to kiss me or punch me in the face." Um, m- m- the point being that he didn't know what Ed was going to do next, mm. and and I and I was just like, exactly, exactly, because Ed doesn't know what he's going to do yet, and and yet he's entirely in command. Out as a teacher, an old teacher, Daryl Hickman told me, "You know, you're out of control, but in command," and that's the way. All of these guys work. And so for a younger actor like um, Sebastian to come and have this just bucket list of experience of working with guys. I mean, the, the scene with, uh, with John in the, in the butterfly uh, tent is uh, truly a high point for me um, in the whole experience of making the movie because it was unplanned. And, uh, you know, Byron and I walked into that tent uh, in Costa Rica, and it was never in the script. But we saw it, and I just went, my God, this is the metaphor for the whole movie. You know, this is the place where it happened, and it's been transformed the way that these men are being transformed, the way that uh, this character of Huffman is being transformed by this man who has gone from, you know, a culture of killing to a culture of healing, and, John, uh, I, I love to tell this story because it was um, just so amazing. Um, Byron was standing right next to the uh, the Steadicam operator. I, I believe we had two cameras going at the same time. And, um, and I'm looking over, kind of, Byron's a big guy, I'm not, and I was sort of trying to look past Byron uh, over his shoulder into the little tiny viewfinder, and there was reflection, and I couldn't really see it, and... Sebastian started to tear up And I just I was about to cut And I looked up over the camera And I saw his lips starting to tremble And I remember grabbing Byron's arm As if Byron were going to cut Not not that he ever would But I I was almost stopping myself By grabbing him Because I couldn't believe what was happening And John saw it too And John stood up And just improvised He just looked at him He says let it go man Just let it go and it just uncorked Sebastian. It was just this real thing that we caught, uh, and um, that, that's a long way mm-hmm. from the table read. But <laughs> uh, but that's kind of how wh- wh- that's kind of where we ended up. And it, it's uh, it's just a beautiful moment of cinema uh, that was on that, that was, you know what it was. It was that Sebastian had achieved what he was talking about with Ed, that he didn't know what was going to happen next and so something remarkable happens because he allowed it to happen and that's really what directing is all about it's about creating the conditions for a little miracle like that to happen
1: oh that's sweet that's really a a wonderful story i would like to ask uh, john and and then and, and then travis you know in terms of creating that i mean you know an actor uh can be so uh devoted to the lines and to the, you know, pre-rehearsal or whatever that they, that they, they kind of phone it in. Not that, and I don't mean that in a disparaging way. I'm just saying that they're, that they're, they stick to what they know. Or another actor, especially seasoned actors like yourself, will look at something, see something happening in the moment and then be able to go with that and or improvise something that, that helps create those magical moments. What's that like for you, John? And then, and then we'll talk with Travis.
2: Uh, just to, uh, say how much fun was the discovery for me, you know, getting absolutely away from anything in my life to be brought into a whole new area and the spiritual uh, power of associating while I'm talking to Sebastian about another world uh, very different than for both of our life that he hadn't any real uh, exposure to so this environment that, the, that God brought us to and we, for me it was a new experience too but just to open up and share my feelings and my experience with the men who had served and one man who just appeared from nowhere in that one incident it was easy to just pretend you know, movies are pretend but boy, they can lift and move people more than they get in their normal lives. In an hour and a half, uh, their lives can be changed. And I felt that with with Sebastian in the scene, we both said, "You know, thanks. You know, we were grateful for another day." It was just we both saw that time for a moment in our 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 dealing with the mem- mem- the memory of mine. And him experiencing that as a human being and what the insanity might be, might be like and how it affects everyone in the lives uh, exposed to those people from the immediate experience as fellow soldiers or their mother and father or sister and brother or friends. Eight thousand miles away, you know, it's it's just as powerful.
1: I I want to I want to follow up and I want to ask you and Travis and and um, and Todd for that matter. um, You do you expect? I mean, uh, you know, uh, one of the reasons why uh, you know productions like this production you know work probably so well under difficult circumstances and compressed timeframes just because you have a relationship and maybe you have a shorthand for communicating, you know, between Byron and you or between Sydney and you and between the actors and you. But my, my question is, is you're, you're dealing with seasoned actors and then, and, and then others that are not so seasoned, but, but my guess would be, John, you've got so many credits to your name and and Travis has worked for all these years in the industry, you know, doing, doing all these projects. Um, a lot of people, you know, want to hit their mark, hit their line, hit their light, hit their, you know, everything. Um, do you imagine that part of it is being seasoned and having been on set enough that you just, you can just begin to observe what's going on and you begin to notice what's happening with another person and you're listening instead of, you know, just trying to remember the next line and so that 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 helps you create um, more magic, you know, and have the miracles happen instead. I've, I've
2: got to, I've got if I can just say quickly, I've got to be honest with you. It's rare to have such an, uh, a really uplifting or moving experience to the creative art of uh, the behavior as such a work was with the script and the locations that were in the last full measure. You don't get that one out of a hundred, maybe. Wow. Uh-huh. Um, so there's, there's a big difference all the time. It's just a different kind of story, different world, different people. So, uh, a lot of times it's nice to see people, you know, and you work with before and just have those moments where you can say, okay, you know, uh, we're going to be okay. Don't get too, uh, off the track here with this. Sometimes I get very scared and I can get a little, uh, lost, In life, and mostly, though, in life, but not uh, every once in a while. not uh, not too secure in in my work. So to get something where you just jump in and you feel so much uh, acceptance, good crew, good director, good actors, good butterflies. I mean, they trained those for weeks, those (laughs) butterflies, but they were just wonderful, uh, wonderful script, and we just jump in. And thank uh, you, you you know, because... Gosh, there's still so many people, younger people, older people, sir, in service. And now, with the situation of the world and our country, I really feel we need to accept uh, each other in our world more. And uh, uh, we got to be careful about building walls. I think distance is a healthy thing sometimes in any relationship. Peace of mind for an individual just to have their sure. own space. But the idea that there's challenges that are, the world's moved very fast in the last 100, 100, 200 years, all over the world. And now we're going to need to re-look at our our lives, I think, a little more. And uh, so we're seeing a little effort for peace in a lot of places.
1: Well, that's very cool. Where you I'm know, going, it's, yeah. um,
2: I was going to say that the life of gives
1: you it's, that opportunity. Go ahead, go ahead, you're saying
3: yeah i was just going to say that you know since we're talking about this scene um there, there's a word that um that an old drama teacher uh my old high school drama teacher judy roman used to say and it's a german word i believe it comes from wagner and it's called gesamtensberg and it it meant uh it translates to a, a, a complete synthesis and uh, in, in in talking directly about opera but in this case This scene, um, two people that I I wanted to um, mention um, that were so critical in the making of this movie were were Terrell Gibson and Richard Nord, who were my two primary editors. Um, I can't tell you, uh, in terms of the storytelling, um, how significant their work is and how it's represented, because when we're in the editing room, we're rewriting. Uh, we're, We're doing the final draft. Uh, and it gets drafted over and over and over again. And um, the, the combination of Byron's work, um, how he captured the performances, uh, the, the natural environment in this place, along with imagining how the sequence might come together, because we hadn't storyboarded it. We, we didn't really know how it was going to come together. And then uh, the, the, the knitting together of those images, uh, in a way that supports the the emotion of the scene and the transformation that's happening, and then it, how it's beautifully delivered with Philip's score. Um, it, it, th- there's a there's an oboe uh, line in the movie that makes me choke up every time I hear it. and uh, and so you you have the people that were on the ground doing it, and then you have someone, you know, maybe a year or so later uh, coming in and giving it the soul. And um, that's really what's so exciting about making movies because it really is such a group effort and it falls and crumbles if one of those people doesn't show up and deliver. Um, so um, I just wanted to make sure that I mentioned um, the, the editors.
1: Oh yeah, absolutely. Well, and I'm glad that you did. And I also want be I want to, uh, before I, make a, a, a further statement because i wanted to bring philip in on this discussion too about that scene and i want to bring in travis uh but um the movie came out in january and and let's tell people where they can get it how they can get it how they can see it what's going on it's a last real measure let's tell them who's who's all in the movie too because we i didn't do that this time and we mentioned people like sam jackson and different things just by first name or ed harris i think we gave full name or, or william hurt but but uh uh, I think people should know where they can, you know, see the movie. Because we didn't mention Peter.
2: Did you hear me? And that was amazing that he was brought oh, in. Peter Fonda, uh, right? He uh, he had cancer, and uh, I guess Todd made the or and Sydney the decision to go with him. Uh, I like John Cazal. And one of the most uh, incredible performance of someone having to deal with the PTS uh, post-traumatic syndrome. And uh, I just felt so proud to be a part of his uh, last film.
1: Wow. Yeah. Yes, indeed. Sydney, why
2: don't you go ahead and
3: do the business?
5: Ah, well, uh, thank you for asking. The film right now is on all digital platforms. You can get it on Amazon, uh, Google Play, iTunes, Fandango. Uh, I'm sure I'm missing some. Or you can go to the last dot com, and it will guide you towards uh, any of those locations to purchase it or rent it, uh, depending on what you prefer. And uh, it's quite popular. People are watching it. We're really excited about that. And, you know tell your friends it's available now and you can watch it from your home right now well it, it is an amazing movie i'm so thrilled to be able to discuss it with with
1: you and i think it makes it even more uh you know want to watch it again as we discuss it to to hear the different elements and the different people and the different parts of getting it all you know uh, come together so uh you know i wonder one of the, the one, you, the, one the of listeners. the
2: Things that is different because of this look at this activity that started in Vietnam was the idea that there's any a political uh, point of view, one way or the other. Uh, it reminds me as a little boy with everyone around me. Let's say uh, were Republicans. All my family, all my neighbors. Uh, Eisenhower we'd listen to as a little kid in a four-inch TV. There was a spirit of community and civil rights going on, of course, with a great deal of uh, effort of New World. And that's the feeling I got from this film, was an effort for New World that was going uh, on. As you're watching the result of the, the effect and in the, in the, in the incident itself and the effect on people, this is today. And, uh, you know, there's there's a lot of reasons for different points of view. I think everybody should have one you know, like having their own nose or whatever. (laughs) I think we should have our respect for ourselves and this respect for others that was shown was just, I thought, thought the best thing about the film. And uh, at the end of the film, if you can bring a tissue because you will be moved in in an uplifting way. And also oh, wow. towards our our, our our actual participation in the government is continual, whether we realize it or not. And wow. uh, I was just so moved by that last scene. So oh, it's it's, cool. non, non, it's totally human, and uh, involves any anyone any different point of political opinion will be observed. And uh, so please, you know, go see the movie.
1: Go see the movie. See it wherever you can. That's a great word. Thanks, Travis. Travis, I wanted to ask you, uh, you know, about your process with uh, uh, bringing your character to life and, and and what it's like to work, you know, you know you've know, worked for many, many years, but in how it was in terms of this project particularly?
6: Well, it's unique in the sense that, you know, just because you served in the military doesn't mean you understand all the different generations of military. You know, I served in the Marines from 94 to 97. It was a different time, uh, and there's so much more to learn, especially the difference between Army and and Marine Corps and these MUD soldiers and what they experienced. And I wasn't an officer. Uh, My my character is based on a a bunch of other guys put together in one, and they were all officers. So I got to spend some time with different guys who had served in that battle, uh, Phil Hall was one of those guys and I got to spend a lot of time with him and, um, John, uh, big who, uh, I got to get to know pretty well is, and, and these are guys that are actually there. And that was, you know, just listening to them and understanding and really taking in what they had to, what they had to teach. And it was really being a student, uh, and, and understanding what what the battle consists of and where they were and how they felt. And, uh, some really, really wonderful moments. Some, some great times with, with those guys and, and William Hurt, you know, really breaking down what these guys had been through. Um, but it really was just, just being a student uh, and being educated by those guys and then uh, working underneath Todd's direction, which uh, which is just being part of a great team at the end of the day. It was just it was just really allowing yourself to let go and be part of a great team and, and trusting everybody was there for the right reasons, which they were. And that, that was the process.
1: Very, very cool. Very cool. Thank you for that. I want to, I want to talk to Philip, and then I'm going to go to Byron. Um, Philip, we've talked about the butterfly scene. Can you, can you say what your process is when you come to a scene like that? I mean, in terms of, of
2: what happened? I mean, I, yeah.
4: It's it's funny when they brought it up. I was going to interject and say it was my favorite scene to score, um, but I think it's the favorite scene of a lot of people that worked on the film from the sound right. of it. I, uh, you know, I, I think that part of me always felt um, this was a bit of a dream project for me, just because I, I come from several relatives. I, my grandfather was one of eight my, on my dad's side, and my grandmother was one of like 13 or 12 and all the men on both both of those sides basically went served in some military and I think having not served in the military this was some kind of way for me to feel connected to them in a, in a, in a, in a, and I think that in that particular scene um, it just felt like the collective emotions of what Sebastian was going through was something as an audience member and as somebody who was just viewing the film and going through this experience, uh we were all experiencing at the same time, just this overwhelming sense of this is where it happened yet it's so beautiful and 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 you know letting go of what what that meant to us and and i I remember Todd had spoken earlier when we started about temp scores, and they had this it was a very nice piece of music in there and and uh, I remember then uh, it works really well, you know, <laughs> and I was like a bit scared to kind of dip my toe into it because I was going to have to beat that. Um, but I, I, at that point, by the time I think we had gotten to scoring that particular scene, um, we had kind of established what the sound of the film was at that point and that the, the we used solo oboe quite a bit in the film and, and it just seemed like the point at which... You know, Sebastian's heart had made this change, and his attitude had made a change, and so we—it just soared out of that particular instrument, and and what came of it was a cue that I—I I thought that probably was one of the more successful moments, just that we we hit, it seemed to hit all the right points, and 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 uh, yeah, I mean that particular scene, I just was very moved by when i saw it so it wasn't particularly difficult to write music at that point you know when you're inspired the, the notes kind of come out <laughs>
1: well that's very cool that's very cool so I, I appreciate that and byron um i you know i, I know a lot of uh budding cinematographers in especially in this day and age or or film school graduates you know are are going okay the shot has to be lit it has to be framed it has to be you know uh captured this that the other thing and i know a lot of people who and i've worked with a lot of people who have been more concerned with the shot than the performance i've known directors to be more concerned with the shot than the performance um so, working with Todd and, and, and capturing moments like that, where there's magic or being able to look at a scene from, you know, through your eyes is, and, and what you're trying to capture, what you're trying to, you know, to, to capture um, for Todd, you know, for, for his vision to be up on the screen for this whole. Um, how, how, how is it? What, what, again, going back to your process, what is it that, uh, that you, you tend to focus on as a director of photography?
0: Well, it's interesting what you just asked as well, because, you know, as a DP, you know, you're only as good as your experience, and you oftentimes, you know, learn lessons while you're shooting, and Todd and I did the movie Phantom, and I remember there was uh-huh. a, a particular scene where I didn't love the light on Ed Harris, but he was in, he was just in a groove, and he was so good, and I asked Todd, I was like, can I fix it, and he reluctantly said yes. And we came back, whatever it took five, ten minutes to fix it, and Ed was never the same and I remember Todd saying to me he you, you know he looked at me and was like, "Okay, well, you know that's the reason we don't do that and I learned a valuable lesson with that, and so you know especially when it came to this movie with all these great actors um you know i try I try not to get in the way I mean I do the best I can to make the light as pretty as I can, and the shot as perfect as it can be, and you know oftentimes have either the camera on a dolly or a steady cam or a slider. And, you know, so we can make, um, you know, quick adjustments while we're shooting. But but for me, you know, I when you have actors this great, you know, the shot can be great. But if the performance isn't great, then... Nothing it 's not great, so it, has, it really is, is about the performance, and so as much as I 'd like to say, oh, it 's about the shot and the light. You know I have learned that lesson that I just try to do whatever I can, the best that I can when i 'm setting up, but then once, once the cameras start rolling, unless there 's a natural break in um, a natural time for me to be able to change something, I just have to live with it and uh, let these guys do their magic. And in this movie in particular, obviously, they all did their magic. And hopefully, you know, if there are any little mistakes that I see or things that I don't like, um, you know, most people don't notice them because the performances are so strong.
1: I think you just said you know, something really extremely valuable to filmmakers out there in general. And that is the camera's going to capture what a camera is. just going to capture a great performance or an inadequate or a less than great performance. You know? And so if you have the opportunity to capture the great one, that's exactly, you know, what you're hoping for is that you get the best of the best on, on film I, I, or, or today digital or however it's shot. But, uh, I, I uh, you know i've spent a lot of time with film students and, and different people and they've they've always concentrated on you know making it technically correct without making it you know grabbing the grabbing the uh grabbing the audience grabbing the performance but what,
0: what really is technically correct you know it's like yeah. nothing's ever going to be perfect so you could chase that you know forever and it's it's not going to be perfect but you know that's the other reason too that i and i think that this day and age with digital technology and the way that we make films, um, I'm also not the type of person, I, you know, if I have to, if there's a certain type of light and it's supposed to slash across the actor's face, great. Give him a mark. Make it perfect. Try to get that moment um, because that's more of a storytelling moment or something you're trying to show. But overall, like, I don't like giving a ton of marks and making an actor hit it perfectly. I like to light a room. And let the actor work within the room, because to me, that's how you're going to get better performances. It's, it's not about like, you know, because now especially it's like, you know, your ACs, they, they, they're going to maybe take a measurement, but they have the electronic ones. They're not pulling out a tape measure. So it's a lot more loose. And I think that that is something that, you know, filmmakers, when they're starting out, need to remember. It's like, you know, do your best to give the actor a great space to work, whether you're inside or outside. And, and don't try to hamstring them with specific Places they have to go to, unless there's a really good
3: story point and everybody agrees on that,
0: you know, ahead of time. Fantastic. Yeah, I which reminds
3: yeah it reminds me of trying to block actors. You know, you know, to Byron's point, um, if you you know, you can come in with a conceptual idea about where people should stand and how the camera should move and this, that, and the other thing, and it's all cool, g-whiz bang stuff. But you know, the actors just don't care. It's not their job to care, and I, I learned this early on, um, you know, you shouldn't even explain to them what you're doing unless they ask. If they, you know, occasionally an actor will want to know what lens, what focal length you're on so that they know how much that they can move. But, um, but really what you're trying to do is create the illusion that what's happening is real, and they 've got to block out a lot of stuff like cameras and you know a bunch of fat sweaty guys that are standing around with you know sharpies in their pockets and they've got to block all that out and so if you throw in uh, technical um, aspects that you you're making them do while they 're trying to actually practice an art that 's largely spontaneous uh, you 're really creating problems for them and so what I've found is that When we go into rehearse in terms of our workflow for the day, you know, we show up early uh, and we start to work the scene in the space and see what they discover. And, you know, a lot of times they'll work themselves into a corner and, you know, we'll eventually all agree, well, that's just not going to work for camera. We do have to photograph this. But eventually they find a flow and that becomes part of the communication right? How are we telling the story? Well, sometimes the story is being told with where you stand in the room. That's saying as much as the words or maybe more than the words because it's it's a visual art. And so once we figure all that out, then Byron and his team will come in and they'll watch a rehearsal and then we'll put a few pieces of tape on the floor so that they, you know, so the actors, you know, have a, a target anyway. And and then we, we you know, we, we try to pull focus and, you know, keep, keep it all in focus. But um, the other thing that I wanted to mention was that there's this pressure that flows from uh, guys like Sydney uh, and above uh, through the producers to me, uh, and then and they land on the, the people like Byron, and that has to do with the pressure of, of a uh, the outcome because they're all concerned with the outcome. They want to make sure it's going to be good. They don't want to hear about experimentation. And then, uh, I lost my train of thought a little. Uh, the first is, the, oh, it's the outcome. And then the, the second is the amount of time that we have, because there's all of this theatrical environment that's going on there, are cranes and lights and people, and it's, it's all very exciting. And, but the actor has to walk into that set, and there needs to be. I need to have created the conditions for them to be able to do their work. And I, what comes to mind, Byron, is uh, William Hurt's scene at the Vietnam War Memorial, where um, his his emotional range. I mean, he goes from zero to two hundred in the scene and back, and had to, and he did it seven times in a row. And in order to create the conditions for that, we hung a gigantic duvetine curtain so that. He he would never see the crew and it, because it's such an intimate scene. And so this pressure that comes through is you know, the only thing that matters at the end of the day is what happens in the frame. None of all that other stuff that's going on, everything that's happening, none of that matters if the actor can't deliver the performance that they want to deliver or, or lose themselves in it. And so – you know, then I, I'm sitting there getting pressure from these guys, and I'm feeling the pressure from the actors, and then I—it all comes down to Byron. Hurry up, <laughs> right? <laughs> right, and, right? And and he's got to like look at me and go, y- "You you want it fast or you want it good? Pick one." You know, and so there's this constant erosion of the original idea mixed with um, compromise. And in the context of all that, you're trying to do your best work, and it's really – that's the real challenge, and that's how you really learn how to do this, because it's never going to be the way you planned it back on Long Island, you know, on the sketch pad. Um, Now we're really here, and now there's a thunderstorm rolling in on us, and we know that, that the union is going to shut us down because somebody's going to get killed. And if that thunderstorm gets within 30 miles of our set, I think that's the range. Um, they shut us down. And guess what? Then the sun's going down. So how do you problem solve and uh, and troubleshoot under those conditions? That's, I think, in a way, what really defines us. Well, let's.
2: Uh, Sounds let's like a so- marriage. <laughs> <laughs>
1: i was going to say let's open this up because that is that is the you know a, a lot of consideration is is what do you do with the real life circumstances as they shift and change and yet you have a almost a fiduciary responsibility to the production and to know producers who are you know wanting to make sure that it comes in on time and under budget and those kinds of things how do you how do you negotiate all those things out uh and, and is is it you know I mean you hear the stuff of the typical okay you can have five cars not five hundred you know those kinds of uh, you know barter deals but uh, it's, in this can case, I say do do? can
2: I can I say something before you get much further in because the trust for yourself and others I mean hopefully with time you're able to let go of the ego and okay change is change. What I can't accept right now, and I'm going to kill somebody or myself, or am I going to say, okay, huh, just be here now, you know, do the next thing, um, don't get angry at the poor guy that's trying to get us finished, uh, and that's not easy. Yeah. It's it's usually a time necessary to take to save time. Where you piece, you you just have to let go, because a lot of times we don't really know what to expect. Where that was mentioned, we don't know what we're doing next. We don't know what's going to happen around us. So we st- if we start taking it for granted, it gets boring. So why not? You know, <laughs> move. Just cut cut those. Take those last six pages out. What the heck? <laughs> That's not my job. But my my thinking can be too distracted by other people's work, and just to let go and show up as they say so that helps
1: yeah fair enough i appreciate that listen we have about 10 minutes remaining and i've really enjoyed this is if you're all willing we can certainly come back and and and, and come back as a collective I, I certainly want to talk to each of you individually again at, at other times as well but for the last 10 minutes what i'd like to do and, and i'll have to say okay hey we've got four minutes left or something like that i'd like to let you Discuss what you want to discuss together, or, or share what you'd like to share in terms of the experience, or or lessons that filmmakers, you know, that maybe we haven't talked about yet, um, that you that you think are important to leave the audience with in these remaining moments that we have in this show today. And who, Todd, you want to, or whoever wants to go first?
3: Um, I would just say that uh, kick it off by saying that every movie is different. Um, The personalities are always different. Um, It's a, it, it it is, as they say, a benevolent dictatorship. But you're only as good as um, the people who you're leading. And uh, when you, when they lose faith in you, that in my case being me, um, we have problems. And uh, it's, it's an exhausting um, process because there are a lot of voices. And you have to negotiate those voices because you can't be a you can't be a dictator, a real dictator. You can't say my way or the highway because they'll just replace you. Um, so, and you have to work within the, the the restrictions that are given to you. And that's really what makes you better. I mean, I I don't I don't think movies get better just because they've got all the money in the world to to solve them. Um, you know, in, in this case, our problems led us to – I mean, the only reason that Byron and I never thought of Thailand is because it never occurred to us that they would let us go there. <laughs> you know, we would have <laughs> true, loved right? to have gone, right? Yeah, you know, very true. I mean, true. It, be, it, it became really a result of the bond company saying, you know, we don't think you can pull this off in Costa Rica, which is where w- one plan was. Um, which was beautiful, but we discovered shockingly that there weren't a whole lot of Vietnamese people in Costa Rica. But there were other challenges, uh, just the, the distance of the location and so forth. And so the bond company asked us to come back and rethink it. And, um, and they, they said, well, the dollar is crazy strong in Southeast Asia, um, why not Thailand? And we were like, when do we go? You know, <laughs> it, 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 we we're trying to shoehorn, um, you know, the coastal South Carolina uh, into Vietnam, you know, which is where they shot the Vietnam sequences for Forrest Gump. But when you compare that to where we ended up, um, it, there, there's no comparison. So um, I would just say it's, it, it, you know, maybe the, the theme for this last few minutes is flexibility. Awesome! Yeah. Awesome. So
1: let me ask Sydney. I mean, I know I said I was just going to open it up, but Sydney, Todd raised a really valid and, and important point. You know, I mean, some productions have tons of money; they can just throw money at stuff. Uh, but that's not always the best solution uh, for a variety of reasons. So, how what do you, how do you, how do you uh, approach it as a producer when, when confronted with this stuff? What do you, what do you find? How do you, how do you create a problem? Solve.
5: Well, I mean. As everyone on this call knows, production is problem-solving. Producing is problem-solving. Filmmaking is problem-solving. Um, even in the biggest films, there's always compromises being made because you don't have enough money uh, or time or you're up against other things. Actors' availability, um, this set only being available for a certain time. You know, There's always windows and time factors and money issues. and Really, the creativity comes in the choices you make. You know, that, that's how films are made. Um, and every choice, you know, we're the sum of our choices, for better or worse. And we just hope that every day we make the best choices we can. And you build on it one day at a time. You know, I think the, the best thing is you keep reminding yourself, what what is the reason you're making this movie? You know, because a lot of times you can get really esoteric and far afield and you get off point and you have to come back to, this is a story that we loved for this reason. This is what we're telling, and we're going to block out all the noise and people telling us what we don't need and focusing on what we know this movie's about, and now we need to service that story. And if you do everything in your power, you know, from my standpoint, it's about giving Todd everything he needs and wants within reasons, you know. And, you know, there's some arm wrestling that goes on and cajoling, and that's just the process. I mean, I think we've done it together long enough that, you know, he knows that I have his back. And I'm never going to be suggesting something that I think would be bad for the film um, just to save money, you know, and we're always trying to find them, you know, come up with hacks. I mean, that's the fun part of filmmaking is the problem solving. When you go, Oh God, I never thought we could do it that way, but bang, we did. And look at the result, you know? So
2: is this Sydney? I think you've got to be
5: flexible. Yeah. Is that Sydney? Yes. Yes. It's, it's, yes. The best
2: ending of any movie I've ever seen. Congratulations, wow
1: very cool, <laughs> very cool.
2: they, they wow. even had the real guys they had the real guys who actually served and were in that situation of hell they were in the last scene real people who survived wow. uh, but it just a matter how did you ever get to, I'm glad you didn't tear those last six pages out <laughs> you did it congratulations I mean it was just just I, mean, I it was. For me, it's a classic, just the you know, the movie. But to be able to do that last scene was so magnanimous of you and everybody
5: involved. It's great. Well, we love you, John. You know, you're a big part of the reason why this movie works, and um, you know, it's a blessing. I say, you know, the one thing, is if we're doing our roundup, then I'm going to stop talking, which is that, at least for me, it started out being a cool project to make a movie about. And it became a life-changing journey.
2: Um, wow, you're here,
5: here. So that wow. that's something that you know I'm really proud of, and all the people on this call for their efforts and contributions to the film and sacrifices they made because everyone did, um, and not just with time and money, but you know with a part of their their souls.
1: Wow, that's really beautiful. We, uh,
5: we literally do have yeah. four minutes
0: left. <laughs> So whoever went to, but I can give you a quick roundup from my standpoint. You know, as a DP, I would say to anybody out there, shoot everything and anything you possibly can to get your experience. So that when a script like this comes around, you're put yourself in a position to be able to 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 do it, to be able to execute it, but also to be able to put in the time that it takes to help get it made. And that's the importance of um, you know of shooting shooting everything but really then picking the projects that are going to are gonna make a big mark on you personally and professionally um, to really put your time into. Thank you for that. You know, the thing that impresses me
1: the most about almost any movie is the day out of days. I don't know how, you know, you coordinate. I mean, I do, but I mean, I don't know how people ever get, a, get, with, get things worked out so that they can actually pull something off. It just, it does seem like a miracle when you're trying to, to get just like today to getting everybody together for one for one show for a couple of hours you know is is, is quite can be quite monumental so to, to be able to do that you know with uh name talent and get them all there at different times within the time frame is is always impressive work
3: well you know I'm glad you brought that up because um our first a d team on this movie was remarkable and overworked. Uh, brutally. Jason Merrill, uh who else, Sydney? Um who am I? Brian Gallagher. Uh, yeah, Brian Gallagher. Um uh we, we had some other folks that worked with us in uh in Thailand. It was um them scheduling and rescheduling just around the schedules of these actors alone was an, a near impossible task. Indeed. And um they really make they really make it happen and they're they're unsung heroes and they really run the movie. Um, literally, they run the movie. It's not me. It's them, and they just did a remarkable job. And um, yeah, I'm glad you brought that up.
1: Well, and, and yeah. as I, I'd like. I'm sorry, I don't step anybody. I'd like to. I'd like to reconvene if we can at some point. We'll talk about that off the air. Um, but I, I think what I need to do now is, is to give everybody about thirty seconds to say goodbye for the show today, because you have certainly all been. Impressive uh, guests and, and the information that you provided has been fabulous. So um, uh, let's see who who. Let's, I'll just go, Sydney. I've got your phone number up. Would you like to uh, parting thirty seconds? And
5: uh, thank you, Rex, for hosting us today, and for everyone who's uh, listening. Um, You know, every other word is true. Um, Seriously, wonderful people on this (laughs) call. A real honor to be able to make this film and do a tribute to all the veterans that have served. We're very lucky. There's some wonderful men and women out there, part of the military, that do things that we don't want to know about uh, while we're asleep or enjoying our coffee. So give thanks. We live in a special country, and I'll pass it on to everybody else. Thank you so much.
2: Thank you. How How about Travis?
6: I just want to. Uh, I just want to tip, yeah, I want to. I want to tip my hat to uh, Todd and Sydney for for seeing this through. They spent the past 20 years making sure this movie happened. So many projects fall through the cracks and never get made and these guys made some promises to the veteran community, and they, they saw it through, and they got the story right. And, you know, these guys that are still alive, that are still with us, I know they're so thankful that they got a chance to see their story told and told correctly on the big screen. And that was – it was just – it's just something that uh, I hope everyone gets a chance to see and that our veteran community and first responder community sits down and watches it with uh, their loved ones because it will help them. It truly will. Twenty-two veterans a day take their lives. And uh, we live in one of the greatest countries in the world. And uh, I just hope that uh, we can reduce that number and this film could be a part of it.
1: Awesome. Thank you. Uh, Philip? Philip, are you there?
3: Maybe we lost yeah, Philip, Philip went to I... sleep. Uh, he...
1: Oh, hold on, hold on. I see, he, you know, his call dropped and he's called back yeah. in. Philip, are you there? Sorry. Yeah, I, got I had
4: to call back in. Sorry. You hear uh, Yes, yeah, so about
1: thirty seconds to say so long.
4: Yeah, yeah. I mean, thank you, Rex, and uh, thanks, Todd, Sydney, everyone. Um, I don't think uh, it's it's very common to work on a film that you feel like actually makes a difference or is truly above just filmmaking. And, and I I definitely haven't gone to so many screenings now and watched this with so many veterans. I truly feel like something was made that's important and uh, is meaningful and it's, it's, it's a great honor to be a part of something like this. So thank you all.
1: Fantastic. Listen, um, I'm going to say we're, we're really out of time. So I'm going to say, thank you, I'm going to say, thank you, Todd. I'm going to say, thank you, Sydney. Thank you, Philip. Thank you, Byron. Uh, did I miss anybody? Did I leave somebody out? Thank you, Rex. Oh, I'm sorry, Travis. Thank you. Thank you. Um, uh, everybody, you're listening to Rex Sykes Movie Beach. You can get these at blogtalkradio.com. Be sure to go get the last full measure and take a look at this work again. If you haven't seen it yet, you absolutely need to it and, and find out what we've been discussing. It's, it's on all the available different platforms. So be sure to do that. Check out all of my guests on IMDb. You are, will be totally impressed by all of their credits. I can't tell you how grateful I am to have everybody here today and I'd like to have you all back. Gentlemen, I'm all going to give you a call or a text or something when the show is over just to touch base and tell you how grateful I am. But but thank you for being here. The last full uh, you've been listening to Rex Sykes Movie Beat. Share this, share the link, comment, leave comments, put it all out there on social media so other people can benefit as you have as a listener. Thank you for being here today. That's a wrap on Rex Sykes Movie Beat.